Hello, I'm Ken, and this is Teach Medieval. And on today's episode, I am once again extremely excited to be welcoming Professor Jonathan Harris. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, Ken. Jonathan is Professor of the History of Byzantium at Royal Holloway University of London and the author of several essential texts on the empire, including Byzantium and the Crusades, a third edition of which is coming out in December 2022. Now, before we begin, I do want to take a second to remind you that this episode is actually episode two of a larger mini-series of five on the topic of the Byzantine Empire by 1095. So, if you haven't listened to episode one yet, please go and do so now and then come back and rejoin us here when you're ready. So, now that we've got that out of the way, Jonathan, shall we begin? Let's begin. So, our new topic for this episode, the internal consequences of the Battle of Manzikert. Let's start at the beginning. Let's start with the battle, in fact. Following that defeat at Manzikert for the Byzantines, and with their eastern armies decimated, what were increasing numbers of Seljuks able to do? Well, let's first look at at, at the extent to which the Byzantine army was decimated. (laughs) Yeah. Could say that it wasn't in one respect, because for a start, Romanus didn't commit all his troops. He sent half his army off in a different direction uh-huh. um, against another city, so they weren't there. Um, Andronicus, although you know his withdrawal might have been motivated by treachery, but it did save the, the rear guard. Um, so on one level, um, the, it wasn't it wasn't really a huge defeat. It's not there, there's far worse defeats in Byzantine history. Um, the problem is, of course, is that the Byzantines then become. Um, distracted by the civil war. Okay. Um, first between Michael and Romanus, and then later on between various generals trying to get rid of Michael. Yes. And that really that is that that opens up Asia Minor because Alparslan is not interested in invading in invading Byzantine territory. Um, he goes off to Syria and, and he dies in 1072 anyway. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not him. It's independent bands um, that start to take advantage of this power vacuum left by um, uh, the Byzantine preoccupation with civil war. Um, and those people um, aren't all Seljuk Turks. Uh, some are, um, some are other bands of Turks. There's a group led by a man called Danishmend, mm-hmm. um, which enters the mine and starts to seize territory. Um, and there are Christians as well. Um, there's a Norman called Roussel. Um, he grabs a large chunk of land. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's Arme- an Armenian called Falaratos. Um, he grabs land as well. So it's, it's a pretty much a free-for-all among various groups, some of whom are Turkish Muslims, right. um, but all are. Okay, so if you're one of the Byzantine inhabitants of Anatolia uh, during this collapse of Byzantine authority, what's all this going to feel like? I mean, what were the... The peasantry of Anatolia subjected to, because I've I've got another quote here. This one from Anna Komnena, um, in which she says, 
Uh, Diogenes had launched a disastrous expedition against them, the Seljuks. And from that time until the reign of my father, Alexios, the barbarian terror had gone unchecked. Swords and spears had been sharpened against the Christians. There had been battles and wars and massacres. Towns were wiped out, lands ravaged, all the territories of Rome stained with Christian blood. Some died miserably. Others were driven from their homes. What do we think now? Do we think this is an accurate description of what was happening in Anatolia? Well, inevitably, I'm sure there, there was all kinds of disruption. Uh, and we know that um, from other sources, apart from Anacondina, that um, refugees do make their way to Constantinople, where they put the food supply mm-hmm. in some strength. So I'm, I'm sure that was the case. I think perhaps a, a pinch of salt, though, here. Remember that Anna is a politician, and she's doing what mm-hmm. politicians are doing, is you criticise the previous government to show how marvellous yours is. Yes. Um, so effectively, she's presenting her father, Alexius, as the man who's come up and cleared up the mess left by the previous lot, i.e. by by, by Romanus. So um, I don't think we need necessarily to think that everything was absolutely terrible um, in these areas occupied by the Turks and, uh, and other groups. In, in fact, there is evidence that some people actually quite welcome um, the newcomers because they actually provide a more hands-on defence against raids from other groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a possibility. Um, but I'm sure, you know, there were some people who suffered. And so, what's the economic knock-on effect of all this? I mean, for the population of Anatolia and, of course, for the imperial treasury of this loss of this amount of territory. Yeah, there's no doubt that um, the treasury would have suffered, in fact, that the chronicles say this, because their tax receipts uh, are going to be halved, really, isn't it? Because this area, Asia Minor, that is, is, is um, basically being occupied by other groups, um, usually provided tax receipts, and, and now it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's all, all gone. I mean, it's, it's, there are other sources of income, it, it, uh, it is true, but it must have had a, um, a major financial impact. And it, it's also seen in the fact that um, the Byzantine emperors have to make what um, revenue they have go further. And the way they do that, of course, is by debasing the coins, taking, uh, putting less and less precious metal in the coins to make them go further. But of course, that leads mm-hmm. inevitably to rampant inflation. So it, it does lead to a um, certain amount of economic disruption. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Well, in fact, that point about debasing leads me to Michael VII. Was it Michael that made that decision? Because Michael VII Ducas had been installed after the defeat of Diogenes at Manzikert. And so I was wondering whether or not he was a capable emperor. I mean, you know, did he prove to be up to the job of dealing with this crisis in Anatolia or not? Well, I mean, to, to be fair to the guy, I mean, um, people have been debasing the coinage for years. Mm-hmm. So um, he certainly did do it, but they, they've all been at it. So, you know, in, in that respect, he was no worse than anyone uh, else. Um, but he's quite young. Um, he's only about 14, mm-hmm. um, and, um, maybe 16 by the time he actually comes to power. Um, and he's probably not cut out for the job. Um even if he hadn't been so young. So um, basically what happens actually is that people realise this in Constantinople and there's a number of people who wield real power in in, in the capital. So one is is an administrator called Nikoforitsis, 
um, for a time, and then he's pushed aside and, and somebody else takes over. And then the emperor's uncle, uh, John Ducas, he's the real ruler. So Michael is, is in many ways a kind of shadow ruler, um, to be honest with you um at this time so there's a lot of jockeying for influence very much so whoever can control the emperor you know is is really in power and so people come and go but um yes it is quite clear that he is um not really very effective so so with the minor Michael VII on the throne. Do we see the Byzantine elite embracing him, or do we see a number of members of that class trying again and again and again to depose Michael and to reject Michael's authority? Is it fair to call this a period of civil war? I think it is, really, because the um, you, you could say on one level, in 1072, the issue was, was, was settled. Michael VII won, Romanus IV, Diogenes lost, um, but it wasn't really settled. I think a lot of people were very shocked by the treatment of Romanus, and that really stained um, the Ducas regime in Constantinople. Okay. Um, and also there's the fact that Asia Minor is quite clearly um, being lost. And um, what is Michael and his various protectors doing about it? Nothing. So really the people who um, do get restive tend to be the generals, mm-hmm. the people who feel, no, we, we need a proper... Uh, military man um, in command. So uh, you actually get a situation in 1075 where two generals simultaneously rebel, um, both called Nikiaphoros. So in the western part of the empire, a guy called Nikiaphoros Brienios mm-hmm. is proclaimed emperor. And in the eastern part, a guy called Nikiaphoros Botaniates is proclaimed emperor. And they both march on Constantinople. Right. So you've got situation with literally revolts popping out left, right and centre. And am I right in thinking that even Michael's own uncle, John Ducas, rebels against him at one point? Well, yes. I mean, he, he's, he's, he's really not happy, partly because um, Michael could be a bit fickle and, and, and um, put his trust in somebody else and then, his, you know, then change his mind. Uh, so it's, it's a very fluid situation. It's clear that Michael can't last. The only question is who's going to take his place. So let's pause just for one minute there, because everybody's familiar with uh, today, Byzantine, yes, being used as an adjective for something that's overly complex and, you know, labyrinthine. Uh, why, why is uh, dynastic rivalry and constant um, jockeying and constant coups are, are such a feature of Byzantine politics at this point? Well, they're a feature of, of, of many societies. Um, I mean, if you look at yep. the uh, history of the, of the Abbasid Caliphate of Islam, for example, you get very similar things. You find it, it, it in China. Um, one thing that the Byzantines, disadvantages the Byzantines have is um, there are periods of Byzantine history where no dynasty establishes itself. Right. There was one between 867 and 1056, the Macedonian dynasty. And that helps in a way because then you're quite clear who is the emperor. He's the person from this family. But when a dynasty dies out, as that one did in 1056, mm-hmm. um, suddenly it's up for grabs. And the Ducas family were one of the families who did manage to, to get power, but they didn't manage to hold on to it. So it's this, this issue about establishing a dynasty. Well, of course, a dynasty is going to be established, the Condé Nos family, but um, that's all. That's what really what this is all about. Right. Well, 
Jonathan, that's fantastic. Uh, thank you once again for that superb breakdown of the internal consequences, both economic and political, for the Byzantine Empire of the defeat at Manzikert. Thank you very much for your time. We'll see you in the next episode, which is going to be on the Western threats that the Byzantine Empire faced at the same time as all this was going on. Right, that's that. I've been Ken, and this is Teach Medieval.